Good morning, beloveds of God. I'm so grateful that each of you is here, especially on such a sort of cloudy day. We're very grateful, as we are strongly agricultural out here, for the rain. But also, if it weren't quite so much all at once, that would probably be better for the earth. We are going to pray together, if you'll join me before we start. Uh, God, you are beyond our knowing, and yet you draw near to us to be known. We are grateful for that which you are and those who you are transforming us to be. Give us eyes to see it and hearts to desire it. We entrust ourselves to you, and we ask that we might release that which we carry when it is too heavy for us, and to know that you will carry it. We love you. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Love is a hot topic in the world, has been for a very long time, probably will continue to be. In Western culture in particular, I think love plays a central and starring role. Musicians sing about a crazy little thing called love. There are others singing, love will not betray you, dismay, or enslave you. It will set you free. You hear it in musicals like Fiddler on the Roof, where they ask the age-old question, Do you love me? Do I love you? Well, during our time together this morning, we're actually going to ask a different question from the 1993 song by uh, Hadaway. You all remember, what is love? But as much as we are going to consider love, I think perhaps we ought to back up a bit. First, as usual, I tend to jump the gun on these things. Because in order to talk about love this morning, we have to talk about our series for the year. You may remember back in 2022, our first sort of full calendar year together, we worked through spiritual disciplines about one a month to help us orient ourselves to the practices of our faith. And that meant focusing on ways that we could strengthen our spiritual muscles, that we might be more dedicated servants of God. This year, we're going to do that again, but we're going to focus instead on the fruits of the Spirit, particularly the list that's given in the book of Galatians. And the first thing that we want to understand is that there is more than one place where the fruit of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is mentioned, though they're usually not titled as such. The Bible talks about many different kinds of things that the presence of the Holy Spirit produces in believers. Galatians just happens to have a nice, neat little list. But we know that the Holy Spirit produces things like faith and holiness and many kinds of spiritual gifts. And so it's important for us to keep in mind that this list is some of the products of the Holy Spirit, some of the fruits of the life given to God, but not all. Another important thing for us to consider is that we often have a misconception about the fruits of the Spirit. And even I, when I'm talking about them, sometimes forget exactly what they are. Many people understand that the fruits of the Spirit are actions, a to-do list or uh, a task for them to complete as believers. I think it's easy for us to think this way. We see a list of 
virtuous characteristics in the Bible, and we think that it is something that we're supposed to accomplish, right? Something we're supposed to do. However, they're not called the tools of the Spirit. It's not the checklist of the Holy Spirit. They are the fruits of the Holy Spirit. That means that when someone is living or acting righteously, then the Holy Spirit's work in them will produce these things. It's more of a discernment list than it is a task list, allowing believers to understand deeper than surface actions as a result of the fruit that is grown from their actions. Our hearts and lives are the tilled seed, the tilled ground and the tiny little seeds, but it is the Holy Spirit who is the water and the sunshine and the nutrients of the soil that grows these fruits within us. These are a byproduct of right living, not the other way around. They are not the source. The source is the Holy Spirit at work in each believer. But that does not make us without responsibility, if you thought you were getting out of this scotch-free. It simply means that we have to remember that these fruits and the development of these fruits is not solely in our hands. This is not a righteousness of our works kind of story. This is about God's work in us, and we show a commitment to God's work by continuing to live righteously, seeking to be these kinds of people. We demonstrate our dedication to God by doing things that reflect these fruits, and the Holy Spirit, in turn, affirms that dedication by producing these fruits within us. Maybe we'll have some clarity if we look at what it says in Galatians chapter 5. We're going to consider the list that we're using as well as some other relevant details in the context. The first part of this conversation begins a little bit earlier in the same chapter with what the writer calls the works of the flesh. Works of the flesh. These, the writer tells us, are obvious, but they go on to list them anyway, so apparently not quite as obvious as you might think. And then the writer reminds them that they were at a previous point in their lives enslaved to these works of the flesh. They were a slave to the desk of all of these unrighteous things that they were doing. But now, he says, you're free. And what does that freedom look like for them? Freedom means fruit, not works. It means rest, not labor. It means God's righteousness, not their own work and effort. This is good news. And then we go on in this latter section of Galatians 5 to list the productions of the Spirit. Galatians 5, 22 and 23. By contrast to those works of the flesh, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. And while that last part is not true in a literal sense, many people get in prison every day for doing things that are righteous, we know that there is a spiritual, there is no spiritual law that would supersede the production of the Holy Spirit in these virtuous realities. If what you are doing or saying or thinking or reading 
goes against these fruits, the writer says, those are not binding for we who believe. It is only the work of the Spirit that is truly binding in our world. So, we've set the stage for something we're going to continue to do for a long time, and now we return to the question of love. We're thinking about these spiritual characteristics this year through the lens of these fruits of the Spirit. So keep that in mind as we have this conversation. We're going to start in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 through 3. If I speak in the tongues of humans and of angels, but I do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and I understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but I do not have love, I am nothing. If I give away all my possessions, and if I hand over my own body so that I may boast, but I do not have love, I gain nothing. As we're thinking about this first fruit of the Spirit, first for a reason, which is love, we visit here in 1 Corinthians 13, one of the most famous sections in the scripture about love. You can find it in wedding vows, in art and music, and you find it quoted even by people who have no Christian religious context because it has some very sound advice for discerning what love looks like in the world. Paul here is speaking to the Corinthian church in a larger section, 11 through 14, about how to behave when they gather together in the assembly and in their meals. And in this Corinthian letter, Paul is following a format addressing several kinds of questions and issues. Paul knows this church particularly well. He stayed here for almost a year and a half. And so he knows their problems really well. And he walks through the same formula to address their questions in each section. First, he identifies and defines the spiritual problem or practical question that they're asking. And then he answers with a spiritual mindset, how to respond to that question in a way that reflects Christ. Paul also points out that their lives are not reflecting what they say that they believe. There is an internal hypocrisy to the life of these Corinthian people. He says, you believe it, you say that you believe it, but you do not live it out. And part of this challenge is cultural. The church that was in Corinth was a part of its own context, naturally, because it's made up of people from that location and time. Corinth itself is a very independent kind of city. There are quotes from the ancient world from a similar time period that say, Corinth is the least Greek of the Greek cities and the least Roman of the Roman cities. It's one of those ways that people say they beat to the tune of their own drum. And I think that's definitely true. This is a community that is oriented kind of only to themselves. And they have compartmentalized their perspectives, their beliefs, and the roles they play in their daily life. This meant, unfortunately, being too focused on individual belief and practice and not enough about what it meant for other people in their group. This would lead to things like them talking over each other in worship, a terrible idea, inconsistent and sometimes tremendously problematic sexual practices. This leads to confusion as to what they can and cannot eat as Christian believers. 
and it meant a community who prioritized the flashiest of spiritual gifts because it led to some degree of personal glorification. Paul is reminding them in this section how to identify someone who is righteous all the way through, not someone who appears to be righteous, but someone who is righteous because of the work of Jesus to transform their life. This meant someone who is changed by Jesus in all sections of how they behave and exist in the world. A believer who is transformed would not just be different for a few hours on Sunday mornings. So knowing all of these things, Paul is writing to them and pushes them to begin living their life the same in every place. They couldn't be a good Greek by heritage, a good Roman by political affiliation, and a good Christian on the weekends. He says you have to let the truth of Christ change who you are in every place. That doesn't take away the other realities, but it does change them. And in order to do this, Paul teaches them this guiding principle by which they can be conscious of their actions and begin to model their lives after. It was the central principle of Jesus's good news, this gospel, and it would serve as their everyday marker. Being a Christian, gathering, living life as a Christian, Paul says, is not for you about intense spiritual moments. It's not about your right to speak the truth of God in the assembly. It is not about your generosity to other people because it is about giving your whole self to God to transform. This is deeper than any of those things. He says your actions are good. What you're doing in the world is good, but it is not a sufficient thing. It is not sufficient. Something deeper has to happen. Love must compel your actions, not the other way around. No amount of good deeds could change their hearts unless the Holy Spirit was let in to transform them. And without an orientation to love, all of the rest of it was inadequate. What exactly does this passage mean? In some ways, it's very straightforward. If you have the best spiritual gifts, if you have all of the information you ever needed to be sure about your faith, if you have unwavering belief in God, and if you are generous to a fault, but your mindset is not fueled by love, then it's useless to you. Another way we could hear this in modern terms, if you offer your testimony of faith to crowds and convert many believers, if you can convict those who are lukewarm to become evangelists on fire, but you do not first care about your neighbors without having a religious conversion agenda, then none of it matters. If you can preach and teach and discipline believers, disciple them in the way of Christ, and if you have studied and know the scriptures and the commentaries and the history of our church, but if your message and your interpretation are not first love, then it doesn't mean a thing. If you're generous to every person you meet and you give away money and resources like it's going out of style, and if you even sacrifice your own health and well-being in physical and emotional labor for the church, but if you do not love yourself and others as the root of your actions, then it doesn't 
mean a thing. As Paul is teaching Corinth, we can hear this instruction also for us. Love should be our first stop, our primary impulse, the driving force behind all of these good actions and intentions of our life. When we allow ourselves to believe that we can act without loving, we deceive ourselves. Love is not mushy feelings. It is more than emotional reactions, more than starry eyes and rose-colored glasses. Love is the determination to choose love over everything else, ourselves included. It is God's central measure of life, and because of that, it is the first of the fruits of the Holy Spirit, all others of which fall under its auspices. If your heart is not right, then no action will ever make you righteous. And if you do not choose the transformation of your heart to love, your hard work and your spiritual efforts will not bear what you need. One of our tasks as believers is to be self-reflective, and that we might be mindful of what we say and do, and that we might bring ourselves under one ethical principle, the truth of Jesus Christ. We want to submit ourselves fully to God's work, to be complete people. So we're going to take a minute and reflect this week, together, and then hopefully as you take each day. I'm going to ask two questions and give us a few seconds of silence that everyone will hate. And then we will invite in that moment the Holy Spirit to transform us, that it might not just be right actions, but our hearts themselves would be changed. Our first question for reflection. What is one way that I stop myself from expressing love to others? The second is like it. What is one way my life would look different if I took a single new action of love today? This fruit of the Holy Spirit will not grow in one day, as is true of all things that are worth waiting for in the world. We cannot will ourselves by strength of conscience to become better people, but with gentleness, we can continue to ask ourselves these questions, to be responsible, to weed out things within our hearts that prevent us from being transformed by love. And by taking time to reflect, by choosing the rights of others over ourselves, by continually not letting hypocrisy become our pattern, we can be confident that the Holy Spirit will grow the fruit of love in our hearts. You've been listening to me, Pastor Kana Moore, at Hayes Christian Church. Hayes Christian Church is a non-denominational fellowship in Hayes, Kansas. We are supported by the generosity of our members, attenders, and friends. The financial support we raise goes to projects which further spread the gospel to those who do not yet know Jesus, to those local, national, and international missions, and they help keep these broadcasts free. 
If you would like to share a monetary gift with us, please visit our website at hayeschristianchurch.org and click on the donate button. Or you may mail your gift to P.O. Box 1111, Hayes, Kansas, 67601. If you have any questions, comments, or would like more information, we would love to hear from you. Simply go to our website and click on the Contact Us form. Thank you for your generosity, and may God bless you as you seek to follow Him.